So we're going to talk about loving God with your bodies. That's kind of funny, right? I think sometimes we think about because we go to Sunday school and classes and we think, oh, loving God is about what we put inside of our brains and what we learn, kind of like math. You learn math and you put it, where does math get put? In your brain. And you're like, well, that God is just another thing to put inside of our brains. Or maybe we think, oh, God's just something to put in our hearts. Like, oh, let's, let's, let's relate to God and, and know that. But then also, God says through Moses and then again through Jesus that we're supposed to, we're called to love God with our heart, mind, soul, and then this word strength. What do you guys think strength means? Strength, like this, like muscles? With your, with your like physical strength and abilities, right? Which is pretty, which is pretty great. But because he says to love God with your strength, Wendy, good to see you again. Welcome back from summer vacation. It's to love God with what the strength that you have, Matthew, which is incredible. You have an amazing balance, acrobatic abilities. You know that, right? Yeah, you do. And God's like, oh, love God with that strength, Matthew, the ones that you have, the abilities that you have with the body that God gave you. Isn't that cool? He doesn't say, oh, everybody needs to love God like LeBron James. What? Be, you know, six foot six and 220 pounds of only muscle. But he's saying, hey, let's love. Specific and kind of freaky. (laughs) You'll learn there's many freaky things about me, Caleb. Uh, But this is what. Sus. Sus. So, so. Actually, Sarah read this last week too, but I'm going to read it again because we didn't, you know, plan it ahead. But I'm going to read it. This is about how God made you and made you with all, made you to love him. It says this in Psalm 139, verse 13. It says, for you were created, uh, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. So like when you were being made and formed and shaped, God was figuring out what you're going to be like. And science actually tells us there's over 800 personality traits alone that are hardwired into you before you're even born. Did you know that? And that that what your eyes look like, what your hair looks like, your muscles, your height, even how many times your heart is going to beat for the rest of your life is all done inside of your mother's womb before you even come out. Isn't that amazing? And that's actually more freaky than like... So then it says this, so that's, so you are made fearfully and wonderfully made, same way God is placing the stars out there. Did y'all see that a few weeks ago, they released this picture of the universe way far away, like millions and millions of millions and millions of miles away of a star configuration that looks like a question mark? Pretty wild. And God set that up and designed it so that in the year 2023, we would create this web telescope and we'd look out and we would see question mark, you were made that same way, fearfully and wonderfully made. Why were you fearfully and wonderfully made? It says this in verse 14, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made, because your works are wonderful. Just like the works of the, the ocean and the mountains, you are a work of God and you are wonderful. And he says this, I know that full well. One of our prayers for you as kids and adults is that you would know full well that you are fearfully and wonderfully created who you are. 
Uh, it says this in verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you, like your skeleton and what everything attaches to you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one came to be. How precious are me to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast the sum of them. And what the psalmist is talking about is that you were made, your whole body was created not just to be a container for your brain or to be a container for your heart, but your body is actually created and formed and shaped to be a source of worship and wonder of like, this is who God is and this is what he's like. Isn't that pretty cool? But you might think, how do I remember that? You're right. Where, how do you remember that in your body that you were made by God to love him with all of your strength, right? Does that make sense? How, do you, how are you going to remember that? Is that just the, that does make sense. Thank you, Matthew. One of the ways I'm going to talk this morning about how, what are some of the things that we can do to love God with our whole strength. But right now, what I want to do is I want to see your abilities to to, to move the the bodies that God has given you, okay? So what we're going to do is we're going to stand up, okay? And everybody can do this too, not just, we're not going to do a conga line. That's a good idea. All right, so let's all stand up. Adults too. Thanks, Nate. Boom. All right. So this is really important because one day you're going to have lower back issues. So you want to stretch out like this first. Can you stretch out like that? Yeah, and if you want, you can make it a boxing move and you can turn and punch, but don't punch your neighbor, okay? Okay, Wendy, don't punch your neighbor. Okay, that's good. Now let's see how high up we can go. And actually, you can, you can breathe in, like breathe it, put oxygen inside of you, and then you can go a little bit further up. You can go a little further up. That's so great. Okay, now let's see if we can touch all the way to the bottom. Can you touch your toes? Lenny, where are your toes? Where are your toes, Lenny? There they are. Okay, now you can move up a little bit and touch your knees. That feels good. Touch your knees, yeah? Does that feel good? Okay. Can anyone do this? Can anyone do this? Let me see. What's it called? A four? Oh, because it makes a four. I thought it was a flamingo. I know, you're very... Can you do it with your other leg? I can only do it for like a sec. It's easy. That's so good. Okay. Now let's see how high people can jump. How high can you jump? Whoa. Whoa. It's because you have the cool Jordans. Air Force One. Whoa. Do you have Aaron? Oh, no. Did you hit something? That I saw that. Show me again. How high can you jump? Whoa. And a twist. Jump and a twist. Do this. Can anyone do the splits? Very close. Oh my gosh, I can't. You can? Whoa! That's so good. <laughs> that is so... Okay, now, you don't tend to do this? That was really good moving. It is a good stretch. It's... If you haven't, you got to warm up into that. You're right. Yeah, the body gets bigger and bigger as you stretch. Okay, so now Sarah actually, Miss Sarah made 
brought snacks and little packets for you guys to do while I'm talking, and you're going to actually be part of it still. There's going to be times where I'm going to say, all right, we're going to talk about this, and you have to get to participate. All right, let's grab the things. Awesome. That was fun. I hope you guys jumped high in all those things. I didn't see you. I was focused on seeing. I was mesmerized by Thad's jump twist combo. We just got to get him a skateboard and he's on his way. Uh, so we are finishing up our series on the fully formed life, living a life satisfied as part of our goal for this year that we would intentionally be pursuing a life, a holistic life of devotion to God. That when when the commands are given, when Jesus actually reiterates the commands that we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves, we're actually being brought into what is the way of Jesus? How do you follow Jesus tangibly? And then in the Great Commission, when Jesus has raised from the dead and he has all authority on heaven and earth, like everything is beneath his feet, everything above his feet is his, and it belongs to him. And what does he do with that authority? He commands us to go and make disciples, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then to teach these disciples to obey all that Jesus commanded. And then the question is, oh, what did he command us? Commanded us to love him with all that we are and to love our neighbors ourselves. And so that's why this is an important series. How do we give full devotion to God? And so we have, we've talked through loving God with our heart, loving God with our mind, loving God with our soul. And this is the final one on strength. And so what I want us to do today, being fully aware of the wonderful little voices in our midst. I'm just gonna jump to the practices that help us understand how do we live in such a way that, that we, we love God with our full strength and our bodies and our limitations. First uh, Corinthians chapter six, verses 19 to 20, Paul writes this. He says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. What Paul is explicitly saying is, God didn't just redeem the things on the inside of you. He's redeeming everything outside of you. Like your whole physical being is being redeemed. And we know that that's even true because Jesus didn't die a metaphorical death and have a metaphorical resurrection. He didn't die an emotional death and then have an emotional resurrection. He had a physical death and then a physical resurrection. So that we are actually, as we come into the gospel, as we receive this message, big part of the hope of it is not just that we get to sense God, but that we actually are raised to an abundant life with God, and that all of the things in our bodies and the limitations of them and the fact that our bodies are decaying and are being destroyed and are susceptible to all sorts of diseases and are, are weak and fragile, but one day, because of the gospel, we, our physical selves, will be raised to abundant life, undeteriorating, full, and free. Isn't that incredibly good news? That we are not just a... a you know, a, a Gnostic faith where it's like, this is just something in the clouds and this physical world doesn't matter at all. Paul is saying, don't you remember? Don't you understand that when you were 
when you are bought and brought into the redeemed people of God, like the Holy Spirit now dwells within you. So take care of yourself like you would the temple. And that is the case in the Old Testament. The temple was this thing that all the artisans, all of the the skilled laborers, everybody put so much effort into not just building the temple, but then maintaining its beauty and its splendor. Why? Not just because it was a religious place. There's plenty of religious places in the world, but because it actually held within it the Holy of Holies, the presence of God. And what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians is, we, all of us who believe and are brought into the faith, we are actually that same kind of temple where the very presence of God now dwells within us because the Holy Spirit has been given to to sons and daughters. Daughters are prophesying, young men are, are proclaiming, old men are having dreams. Why? Because the Spirit is within us. This is this is a divine, phenomenal mystery. But it's what you, that's the, that's the package of the gospel that you receive. Uh, Romans 12, 1, Paul says, Therefore I urge you, this is at the end of all of the gospel message, and then he says in verse 12, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Uh, that what he's describing is, is that worship, our lives are themselves an offering to God. In the same way that the temple would house these moments where people would come and, and they would give the lambs and the doves and the grain and all of that that we talked through our cool series on the feasts, if you remember way back when. I think it was three months ago, so hopefully you can all remember that. But he's saying, now you actually get to bring your whole life as a living sacrifice that every fiber of your body is now a living sacrifice to God. And so this tells us a lot about God, that we are created for a purpose, that the way that we were created is for a purpose, the limitations, all of that is incredibly profoundly important. And the calling for us is how do we then worship God with all of our strength? How do we love him? Uh, So I want to explain a few intentional practices that help you steward your body and that bring you into an understanding of your finite abilities as a human. What are these practices that we can do and, and intentionally pursue where we view our bodies as this, as a temple that's housing the Holy Spirit or as a living sacrifice? There are different views of what our bodies are for, right, in our culture. So some of, our, some of our views that are out there hanging around is that your body exists to either be beautiful or ugly. And so you should, you should do whatever it takes to be the beautiful kind, not the ugly kind. And, and who gets to define what's beautiful? I, don't, I think it's the people who sell the stuff that make you beautiful. They get to decide, right? And they say, oh, if you have to commit yourselves to these modifications to your body, whether surgical or otherwise. You have to commit yourself to dressing this way and adorning yourself that way so that then people can look at you and say, that's beautiful because you need a body that looks beautiful. And if you don't, you have no value, right? But then the Bible says something opposite, that he's actually formed and shaped you. So how do we resist that temptation? Or we say, we might hear out there that your body just exists as a vessel for pleasure, just something that you can that you can use 
to feel good and to, to put whatever you want into it to feel good, to do whatever you want to outside of it to feel good. That's what it is. It's a vessel for pleasure. But then the scriptures say, no, your body is actually a vessel for worship. Uh, it be- it's not your own. It belongs to God. So these are some practices that help us grow in that love for God within our limits and stewarding our physical capacities. And none of these are going to be shocking. I just want to, sometimes I would love to shock you guys, you know, but there's not anything really new under the sun to shock you with. So the first one is to exercise. This practice of exercising, moving our bodies. We were made to be active movers of our physical reality. When we, when we exercise, we're building into our health, like it's good and we burn calories and all of those things, but really we're engaging our physical reality that our hearts were intended to pump a lot. Our, our pores were intended to sweat. These endorphins and chemicals were supposed to be poured into our bodies. We would release and like live in this amazing energy that comes from exercising, that God designed us and wired us to do that. So we were made to sweat. We were made to stretch. We were made to also feel our limits. It's funny watching kids sports often. And one of the things, there's, there's two frames of thought. One is all kids should be the same. So it's like every kid, you know, let's just pretend that that kid over there is not the next professional soccer player. Let's just pretend we're all average, right? That's one way to do it because we're scared of limitations. But one of the things exercise does is it teaches us, I'm not actually that fast. I'm not actually that strong. My bones are pretty thick. I become deeply aware of of my finite abilities. One of the things about exercising is you realize, oh, I cannot just run 400 miles. I can only run one mile. Why? Because I am a being. I'm not God, right? One of the things that I pay attention to is when we're talking about people that work out and they get very physically, you know, great, we talk about them like, oh, well, he has a body like a Greek god. You know, one of my jokes is I have a body more like a Roman emperor, you know, but not a Greek god. But what we're saying is if you if you achieve a certain chiseling of your body, then then you can be seen as a god or a goddess. But really, the exercise is is to bring us into this deep awareness that we have bodies that were made to moving. You know, these boots were made for walking, right? Our feet were made for walking. And then we also learn, oh, and I am created with a limitation. There's nothing sweeter in the Christian life than to learn you have limits. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. We do this not because we want to be thin or attractive to be loved, but because we, were, we know that we were made loved. We were like, we are a product of love, by, of God's love, and now we get to live lives as a holy sacrifice. So that's exercise. The next one is sleep. Uh, sleep is important. Uh, there was an English pastor, really famous, Sir Martin Lloyd-Jones. He, he wasn't very good at pastoral counseling, if you read his books, you're like, wow, he probably was not 
wasn't a very soft person, but he had some brilliancy around that. When, when someone would come into his office and would have a problem, a spiritual problem, an emotional problem, something like that, even questions about God and faith, the very first thing he would do to them is ask, so what's your bed like? They're like, no, you don't understand. I'm really struggling with my wife and my beliefs about atheism and those other things. I'm not here to talk about my bed. No, tell me, is your bed comfortable? The people get fresh. Tell me about your pillow. Is it, is it soft to you? When do you go to bed at night? And people would be very frustrated. Like, how, how are we talking about my sleep and not my main concern? And then he would say, well, what I've learned in all of my years is that sleep is probably 80% of your problem. And I, you know, as a, as a you know, human and as a pastor, I think that might be a little too simplistic, but it's not that far off. It's not always shocking to me that, you know, new parents who are barely sleeping and stuff might call me or text me and say, we're really fighting a lot as a married couple. It's like, ah, I wonder why that is. Maybe it's because you're essentially brain damaged from no sleep. Sleep is incredibly important. Sleep is another recognition of our limits as well. Even our limits to to be awake and to be aware. Uh, A lot of As I said, a lot of new parents in the room, a lot of you are sleep-deprived. And oddly, that's part of God's design, the other side of it. That you are actually, this this thing of having a child is not to torture you with no sleep, but is to give you a picture of God's incredible care over your child. Because when you have a new baby, and or if a child's been given to you to be responsible for, you immediately think, I must watch over them all the time. This thing is too precious. It's too fragile. Like if I just leave it there in the bed through the night, what if something happens? I must have that child next to me so I can hear every coo and sneeze. And if they roll over, I think they're now allowed to be on their stomach, right? Babies can sleep on their stomach. But when, I, when we had babies, they had, so you would be afraid. And you'd think, oh, what if they get their arm out of the sleep sack? And so you think, I must be awake to watch over them because nobody else will. And what God does is he makes you incredibly sleep deprived. He makes you wake up in the middle of the night and hear screaming for an hour. And then you, all the way to the point where you say, I must finally trust God with this child and walk away from them in the middle of the night and allow them to sleep because I cannot control their existence and their care. God has to. This is how sleep is a way that we get to love God with our whole strength, or really the lack of our strength. You come to this point where you say, God, let me sleep. I'll trust you to keep them up in the night. Also, anytime you go to bed, whether you have a child or not, you're acknowledging your own limits, your own need. Every time you put your head on your pillow, you are saying to God and to yourself, I need rejuvenation. I am not the pre-existing, omnipresent, omni-whatever, all of the omnis, the all-knowing, the all-powerful, the the pre-existing one. I am not it. I'm a person that needs to be rejuvenated every 24-hour period. I mean, just think about how feeble we are, you know? We're like an iPhone 3 at this point that has to be plugged in all the time. Or if you make one phone call, I'm just talking, I have an iPhone 6. 
I guess there's 20 now. I don't know how many it goes up, but I'm stuck at six. 15, that's amazing. I'm way behind. But that phone, I have to plug in all the time. If I make one phone call, it's like, ah, I got to plug it. It's now a corded phone, right? So, and you think, what a piece of limited technology. But just so we're all aware, that is your limitations as well. We cannot just infinitely go on and on and on. Uh, we, we have to every day put our heads down and sleep. That's for you too, kids. You also have to sleep. There it is. That's my bonus to you parents. You should go to bed when they tell you to. And also then parents, you know, that's not your time to live your single life. You know, you should also go to bed just every now and then. You should put yourself to bed. We need rejuvenation. One of the great passages of God's care for a person is in the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 18 and 19. In 1 Kings 18, Elijah does this amazing thing where God uses him to, to declare the true God. It's the Mount Carmel moment. It's really amazing, but then people want to kill Elijah and he's running around. And eventually God takes him to this tree and this shade in the warm of the day and just makes him fall asleep just makes him fall asleep because he needed to rest. Uh, He's exhausted and weary and he sleeps in the shade. Why? Because he isn't God. He was doing things on behalf of God, but he isn't God himself. So you should ask yourself, how will I sleep well? Do I need more sleep? Do I need a pillow? Do I need a sound machine? Do I need a new routine? Do I need new bedtimes? Those sorts of things so that you can sleep. Another tangible way of loving God with your strength is through serving, doing stuff with your hands for others. James in chapter 1, verse 22, he says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, not deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and forgets what he's actually like. And he says, what James is saying is, it's not just that we would understand the need to love others and to love our neighbors, but that we would actually go and do it and that we would serve with our hands, with our, with our bodies, even when it's not skilled labor. I think sometimes we wanna just do the miraculous gift moments within the church, but there's a lot of chores in every family. Now it's, I always think about the, there's an episode of The Office where Ryan, the temp, makes a huge mess or somebody makes a huge mess in the microwave and they ask Ryan, the temp, to clean it up. And he's like, that's just not my thing. I'm just not very good at that. Like, I think you should do it, Pam, because you have more skills at cleaning up the microwave. He's like, I'm just not gifted at that. And she's like, all it is is cleaning. You can't do a towel. I have the gift of towel cleaning, right? And that's how it is when, it, when serving, just the, the idea of serving in the church or even in the community, in our neighborhoods, is just straight up showing up and using our bodies and all of the unskilled labor that we can do. And yeah, there's many ways you can serve within our church. We ask people to serve by either setting up or tearing down, being on the sound team with Jared, serving with kids. I think those are all the teams. We have finance, we have many teams, but those are the three like big teams that you should participate in and serve, not because you're incredibly good at it, but just because you have a body that can show up and do the work. So those are the exercises. Last one I'll just mention, sorry, is Sabbath rest. 
that we were made to live on that rhythm of rest every six days resting. And we've talked about that often this year. Hopefully you practiced it in the month of June, but you were created to understand that not only are you God's workmanship that's created to do good works Monday through Friday or six days a week, but you were also created to delight and rest in God. So those are the practices. I want us to do something fun now, okay? Uh, We're going to pull all of this together, and this is going to include kids too. And I think you have, do they have like a little, little thing to draw in? So we have these different practices, okay? We have the strength. What do you do with your, how do you love God with your body? We have the heart. How do you love God with your heart? We have soul and we have head. And those are all of the ways that we're trying to be fully formed. And what I want us to do is get into groups of like three or four right now and answer the question, oh, how am I going to pursue loving God in these ways? And thinking through your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I'll have, uh, Nora, you can maybe put up different uh, the, the exercises for them. I'll just summarize them. So pursuing God with all your strength, we steward our bodies to bring, I'll read it this way, to bring you into an understanding of your finite abilities as a human. That's the, the exercise or the, the pursuit of loving God with your strength. The heart, these practices help shape and process and discern our desires and our dependency for renewal, for our emotions with and before God. The soul, that we submit our entire self to God and enjoy the realities of God and work and presence and grace tangibly. And then head, that we learn about God by learning about his world, that we renew our minds and increase our thoughts for God and his ways. So those are the, those are the summary of all of the, the different areas. So I wanted you to take some time to circle up with three or four people and ask each other those questions. And kiddos too, how are you going to sleep, Ryan? You know, how are you going to exercise? How are you going to learn about God in his world? So you guys get to do that with each other. So yeah, you now have about five or 10 minutes to do that in your little, little group. Uh, but hopefully that was a good beginning conversation for you that then can be carried throughout this week and even this season. And every... Uh, you know, there's this principle around habits and some of what we talk about are just very like earthly or just daily street smarts wisdom of like, how do you create habits that pour into the life that you actually want? Because if not, you have all these accidental habits that form and shape you. And so usually what happens is we're going through life and we have habits that really work for us, really help shape and form our lives. And then something happens and it changes our life. We move to a new place or we start a new job or school starts again or we go on a long vacation and then the habits are broken. And then really sign of maturity is how can I get back into habits that work again after my schedule has changed and things are disrupted? How can I see that and go back to it? You know, get back into that gym the very first time is hard after you've been out for six weeks. And the same is true for our personal formation. And so I do want to encourage you to spend time thinking through in this upcoming season, how will you intentionally pursue a holistic love for God in your life? But I also have good news for all of us around who God is and who Jesus is and what he's done 
that isn't confined to uh, our, our abilities to have great habits, that, that our, our, uh, our freedom and our access to God is not based on how well we fill out a grid. This is from Colossians 1, and I'm going to read it, then ask you to go take communion. Maybe you can go to communion with the people that you were just talking with and just kind of answer that question of, this is how Jesus is enough for me, even when I don't love him with my heart, mind, soul, strength. Okay, so how can I, how is Jesus enough for me? So this is Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. It says, the son, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might be the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile him to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Because once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish, free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This is the good news of the gospel. 